Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living. Pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Did anybody do this yet? Turn to your neighbor and say, you need a haircut. Do that, would you? <laughs> well, maybe you don't. I'm looking out there. There's a few that don't. <laughs> Bob, I, Bill, I don't, I don't need one either, buddy. <laughs> Great to see you this morning. It's so much fun to be with you and with you at home as well. If you have your Bibles, take them and turn to Luke, Luke chapter 11, if you would. And today we're going to continue a series that we have entitled, Dear Abba, we're seeking relational advice from our Heavenly Father, and we've been talking a lot over the first several weeks together about conflict, conflict resolution, and and how to, to bypass on disputable matters, but also how to forgive. And today we're going to take a little bit of a turn as we talk about handing off well. Um, about 10 years ago, since this is the week we normally uh, talk uh, and we recognize graduates and such, and we're going to be doing that a little bit later, but Pastor Dan and I are going to do a little tag team today. But 10 years ago, around this time, we were actually having our first child graduate from high school. And Brittany, who's now 28, she was graduating from New Life, and uh, I got to tell you, that was emotional. It was emotional for me, but really emotional for Tammy. Uh, she really, man, that just hit her and hit her in a powerful way. And I remember that when we were, we were somewhere over in Fort Gratiot, I think it was right next to the, to the fire station on Key Wadden, and I looked over at her, and I said, um, give me a high five, Mom. And uh, she gave me a high five, and I said, you've done a great job, Mama. We handed off well. And it was just this whole idea that, Tammy, I think we've done a good job. I mean, we, we started transitioning. We're not making all of her decisions. We, we put responsibility on them. Now, by the way, if you have adult children or have had adult children or you're in that process now, that's a long handoff, isn't it? It's a handoff when you go to college, and it's a handoff during college, and it's a handoff when you're doing financial stuff, and then it's a handoff after college, and then you got career, and then who knows, you got marriage, you got transitioning to other states, you got all kinds of stuff. Lots of handing off when it comes to this whole thing of parenting. And today what I wanted to do is I thought, man, when we talk about handing off well, Jesus did an incredible job of handing off to his disciples. And you might say, well, what in the world does, uh, does a 32-year-old single guy have to do about parenting? What can he tell us? Actually, he can tell us a lot because parenting is a lot like just simply discipleship. And discipleship should happen in all of our relationships, whether it's with your grandchildren, whether it's with siblings, whether it's with people or coworkers or maybe your neighbors. I really think we have something to learn for all of us today as we talk about handing off our faith, but we're going to talk about handing off our faith well, especially those of you who are parents, we want to talk about handing off well to our kids. And we're going to begin in Luke chapter 11 as we read the Word of God. So here's what it says in Luke 11, starting in verse 1. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. 
Now I want you to notice something in this passage. Uh, the, the whole idea of why Jesus was teaching them to pray is because the disciples asked. They, they, they were at a place where they wanted to learn, they wanted to, to hear, and they asked the question, and Jesus began to do that. And that, that is a lot like parenting, isn't it? That, that, that sometimes we have to tell our kids what they need to know. But there's a lot of times our kids are seeking out information. They're asking us uh, what to do, and we need to be ready to teach them to pass on the knowledge that we have. Now, I was reading a quote this week um, by an incredible, godly, wise, amazing pastor. And I'm not just saying that because he wrote it right here to say it exactly like that. Um, and I'm pretty sure he probably stole it from Pastor Ann, but um, just kidding, it's his. Uh, but this is, this is, Pastor Phil wrote this this week as we were talking, and I, and I love it, it says this, our educational model generally utilizes the just-in-case method, which means we will instruct, teach, and drill information into your lives so that it will be there just in case you need it. However, Jesus' model of training was much different. He utilized a just-in-time method. Jesus taught his disciples what they needed when they needed it so that it would have the greatest opportunity to be transformational. Jesus' model became the perfect model for parents to most effectively train, lead, and disciple our children. That's profound. That's really profound. That's good. Um, by the way, that was in my annual report if anybody happened to see it. Wasn't, I didn't do the parenting thing. And the reason is, is that um, when we talk about raising up our kids, we obviously have the times where we discipline and we have the times that we do daily, daily life. But when it comes to spiritual things in the life of our children, it really is a discipleship model. And parents, you are the primary disciplers in the life of your children, or you're supposed to be. And for some of you as grandparents, you may be the best discipler uh, that you have for your grandchildren, or again, with the coworkers that are in your life. And what I meant when I was writing this was simply this, is that when your kids are born, you know there's a lot of things they have to learn. They have to learn about how to walk, they have to learn how to crawl, they have to learn how to talk, they have to learn math, they have to learn how to ride a bike. Uh, somewhere in there, before they get married, you've got to talk about the birds and the bees. Um, you've got to learn how to drive a car. You've got, to, you've got all this stuff that they need. And many times the way that we work with new believers or with our children is we try to teach them everything they need just in case they need it. And that would be like when they're two or maybe two months old saying, okay, you're going to have to ride a bike sometime. Let's learn now. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to learn how to walk sometime. And they're not ready for that. What you do as a parent is that you tend to teach them those things they need when they're ready for it. And it's the same thing when it comes to things of faith. That is, you teach along the way rather than just piling a bunch of information. It's not wrong to give information, but I think all of us want to be transformational with our kids. And so that's what we want to learn how to do. Now, when we looked at this passage, there were three things, and this is really almost more of an observational message in this, in that you could look at a number of passages and see this is exactly how Jesus worked with his disciples, and you can see it in a number of places. But the first thing you're going to need to do if you want to hand off well is that you have to have a relationship. Because if you don't have a relationship, you're not going to have their ear. But when you have a relationship with someone, 
You have their ear because they trust you. In fact, if you notice in this passage, he says, um, he said, they say, Master or Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. They called him rabbi. They called him teacher. They called him friend. But they also looked at him and said, Lord, you have a position in my life that I trust you. And if somebody doesn't trust you, they're not likely going to listen to you. Um, what's the old axiom that says this? People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so that's really true for parents as we're teaching our kids and trying to train them. Josh McDowell, years ago, when it came to this whole thing of, of disciplining your children, he had this little phrase, rules without relationship leads to rebellion. Now I'm gonna add on to that, but rules within a relationship leads to clear boundaries which bring security. And when there are clear boundaries within our family coming from a heart of love and relationship of trust, our kids tend to actually feel very secure within that home because they know very clearly where the boundaries are. Now, Pastor Dan, you have three children. Now, your three children are younger than my three children. You have two teenage girls, which... <laughs> oh, Lord, help me. <laughs> That's, we're gonna, I was going to offer to have an anointing service, but we can't lay hands on people right now, so we're going to squirt you with penetrating oil. That's what we <laughs> and uh, pray, pray for you as you're leaving. And then you have a little guy by the name of Wilson. And if, if you've, have any of you met Wilson? You know who Wilson is? If you haven't met Wilson, let me tell you, you're going to meet Wilson. This guy... <laughs> He doesn't do anything slow, and he doesn't do anything quietly. He is, he's got energy. He's a little Dan. You know? <laughs> and uh, we had him over at the house a couple of weeks ago to pick up sticks, and I was like, my word. I had some earphones in, but I could hear him pretty good. He was just going at it and <laughs> chatting and stuff. Now, I'm sure you'd probably never have to discipline them or correct oh, them or anything they're like perfect, that. They're perfect. They're perfect. But talk to us a little bit about relationship within disciplining yeah. and correcting your kids. Well, let me tell you this. Uh, having teenagers and disciplining and training teenagers is different than I do with a five-year-old, right? And I'll even go one step further. A five-year-old, five-year-old girls, when they were five-year-old, is way different than a five-year-old boy. It's, it's like a whole, whole new world that I've had to learn. But my dad had taught me um, a couple rules when it came to uh, discipline, training, instruction, that for me stands the test of time no matter where they're at in life and no matter really who I'm dealing with. And the first one is this, is never discipline out of anger. Never discipline out of anger. And, and that's tough, especially when you have a five-year-old boy um, because there are times he does stuff and I don't know about you and, and in a godly way he does something and all I want to do is, is kind of boop right outside the head, you know. None of you, you are all more godly than I am, so you've never wanted to do that. Yeah. Um, and, and I haven't, but, but I've, I've got to take time to step back. I've got to take time to say, okay, what's going on in me before I can, can begin to discipline them? And so I try never to discipline out of anger. Can I tell you, I'm not perfect at all of these, uh, I, but these are things that if I can take time to think, I try and do. The second one is, is always make sure your kids know why they're being disciplined. Always make sure. Because there are times that we think it's clear on why they messed up. And then if you have ever had a teenager in your home, they give you this look. What are you talking about? What's wrong? Right? There's sometimes they don't know. And so, so if you're going to discipline, correct, and train, they need to know why it's there if you actually want to see change happen in their life. The third thing that, that I always try and do is I always try and follow up after consequences are given. 
I try and follow up and make sure they know that I still love them. I'm a words of affirmation guy, and so this was a big deal for me growing up, that if my mom or my dad punished me, there's times they'd walk away, and I'm sitting here going, well, do you still love me? Just let me know, right? And so I always, with all of my kids, whenever consequences have to be given, I let some time pass, and then I come back and say, hey, do you know, do you know that I still love you? Do you know that nothing would ever change that? I had a student um, who told me that his mom would say it like this. His name was Colin, and he'd say, she would tell him, Colin, do you know that if I lined up every Colin in the world in this room, I would still pick you every time? Because it's important for our kids to know that even in training, in discipline, and instruction, that there's a relationship that is never going to be severed by something that they do. Yeah, and I feel like maybe we should do an altar call right now for every parent who's ever... <laughs> blown it in the area of discipline. Um, and can I just encourage you is that, again, nobody's perfect in this area. I've blown it. Uh, Dan, you've blown it. Um, we, we've blown it. Um, it's interesting, though, in that whole area of anger when you're doing discipline. Um, I was doing a study for actually a different message that I think is going to come up this fall on anger. And I was looking at the word patience, and something struck me. Um, the word patience is also the word in Scripture for uh, long-suffering. And the, the root word of that is the word breath, breath. And it is the opposite of anger, which is out-of-control anger. And if you've ever heard that phrase, take a breath, take a breath, taking a breath is actually the opposite of hurried anger. And so just as an encouragement that when you are so angry, so frustrated, take a breath. Take a breath. Slow it back a little bit. You can still deal with it. But be, give time for the Holy Spirit to bring things down a little bit and then also instruct you a little bit. And again, we don't do this perfect. But it's interesting because um, I was actually thinking this week of uh, Abraham and his son Isaac. And I was just kind of challenging myself. What was the biggest spiritual lesson that Abraham would have taught Isaac. And if we went around the room, we could probably come up with some ideas. I would suggest to you that the biggest lesson Abraham ever taught his son Isaac is found in Genesis 22, when God called Abraham to actually sacrifice his son Isaac. And if you go to that passage, it's interesting because most scholars believe that Isaac was probably 13, 14 years old when that all happened. And it's interesting, if you read through the passage, Isaac walks with his dad. He actually carries the wood for the burnt offering. He is talking with his dad up the trail. And um, I, Abraham's old enough that, frankly, if a 13-year-old wanted to get away from Abraham, he could have. The only reason that Isaac was even in a place where his dad could teach him about this whole area of surrender was because his son trusted him enough that he was willing to receive that. So the first area that we want to make sure that we do if we're going to hand off well is to, is to have relationship. The second area is time or availability. You see, you have their ear because they want or need what you have to share. They're in a place right now when you have them that they are wanting and needing. They might not seem like it, but they're wanting or needing what you have to share. And it's our it's our uh, goal, it's what our deal is to say, hey, I'm going to give you that time. I'm going to make myself available. You ever notice that in Jesus' ministry? 
Over his three and a half years of ministry, two to three of those full-time with the disciples 24-7, how much time he spent with the disciples. In almost every passage you, you see where Jesus is teaching, the disciples are right there. Even Look at this. In Luke chapter 11, where we're at right here, it says, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. He finished praying, and he was able just to turn his head, and the disciples were right there. Go on in this passage, Luke chapter 12, it says, Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered, so they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples. Thousands of people had came to see Jesus, and his first thing he's going to do is, is, hey, disciples, let me teach you something. He spent time with them first. Go on in 1222. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, in passage after passage, Jesus is taking time, time and being available for whatever the disciples need in that moment. Parents, your time is valuable. Grandparents, your time is valuable. Neighbor, coworker, your time is valuable. And who are you going to invest that time into? It it, it said that from the time a a child is born to the time they turn 18 years old, they have 900, you have 936 weeks with them. 936. You you can't get extra time until they're 18. 936 weeks. And so I tell you, parents in the room, if you have a kid under the age of 18, How available have you been in their lives in the 936 weeks that you've used up? And I would ask, how available moving forward? How much time are you going to give your kids and the people in your life? Because you only have so much, but it is yours and it shows value to the people around you. Jesus did that. My dad showed this to me in a pretty cool way. Um, I, I made the basketball team uh, when I was a freshman in high school. Now, I got cut my 7th and 8th grade team. I, I worked really hard, but I didn't make the team. And it was devastating. It was devastating. So between my 8th grade year, my ninth grade year, I went to camps. I worked my tail off to make the team. And I'll never forget the day I made the team. Um, and, and I was cheering. I was called my dad. And I said, Dad, you'll never believe it. I, find, I made the team. I made the team. And he said, you know what, Dan? You give me your schedule, and I'll make sure I'll be at every game. Now, this was a big deal because I didn't expect that. My dad is a small church pastor, and a lot of his meetings took place in the evenings because that's when lay people were available. And so to say, give me my schedule, and he's going to make it happen, I'm just like, I don't know. I I don't know if it's going to happen. Well, I ended up starting that year. I started the whole year. It was awesome. And my dad was at every game. Home and away. Some of those trips, I remember being two hours, my dad was there. Uh, we would sometimes take the team bus, and when we'd go for the team bus, and on the way home, my dad's like, hey, you want to ride with me? And oftentimes I said yes, because my dad wanted to spend time with me. He showed value with his time, and I knew how busy he was to do that. Now, can I tell you something? We didn't win a single game all year. Not one game. I I promise you, we lost every game. My dad saw every single minute that I played. Every single, he wasn't going to miss it. So when my daughter, this year, made the eighth grade girls basketball team, 
I said, hey, you give me your schedule. I'm going to be at every game. Now, Fort Gratiot Middle School did not help me out. They made every game on, like, every week had a game on Wednesday night. But let me tell you something. I at least made a quarter of every game, even on those nights. And most of them, I think I only missed, I think, three quarters of basketball the entire year because my daughter, my kids are valued and they're going to know that I believe in them. And that's important for us to give our time and our availability to our kids. Yeah, and again, this isn't just about kids because um, I have a number of young men that I work with and some young pastors. And it it always amazes me, to be honest with you, is that um, I text them and it will take them forever to get back to me. But if they have a need, boom, they want to hear from me right away. And uh, I uh, I had a pastor probably six months ago, eight months ago, that was going through some pretty serious church conflict for the first time. And so he reached out to me and responded immediately. And then back and forth over the next week or so, just simply walked him through, this is what you can do, this is how you should approach it, here's what you should share with your leaders, and here's how to, and it was just interesting. Now here's the deal, he was ready to hear that because he needed it at that moment. And you think through the lessons in your life, you are ready to listen when you are most desperate, all right? And there isn't a YouTube video that's gonna teach you how to do it, right? So you need to be available for those things. And I would just encourage you, I'll never forget a guy by the name of John that was uh, probably 20, 25 years ago. He was in his mid-70s. And I was uh, in in the church I was at and we were up toward the front of the worship center and he came up to me after a message. And he said, Pastor, he said, "Um, I blew it. I blew it with my kids. My boys are all grown. They got their own kids. And he said, I I just, I totally blew it. I was never there. I worked all the time. And I remember, and I really loved John. John was just a kind of a a neat, gentle guy. And I just said, John, I'm just going to tell you, as a grown man, it is never too late to hear from my dad that you love me and that you want to spend some time with me. Now, I realize there might be some barriers you've got to work through. And you might have to mend some fences, but I want to tell you, there is a desire when we humble ourselves to our kids that are grown, we humble ourselves, keep modeling that humility and that forgiveness, and it's amazing how God will give us the ability to do that. It's never too late until it's too late, right? And then it's too late. Um, The third one that we want to hit comes out of verse 5 on. If we're going to hand off well we need to be intentional about it. And the reason we need to be intentional is because they have, we have their ear because it is applicable and important and relevant to their life, okay? It's, it's important, it's relevant, and we have their ear. Um, let's see what it says here in verse five. It says, then he said to them, Jesus, suppose one of you has a friend. Now, now watch what happens here. The first four verses he teaches them how to pray Verse five on, he teaches them why to pray. And there's a really powerful shift. Then he says to them, suppose one of you has a friend and he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine is on a journey, has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are in bed with me. 
I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he may not get up and give him bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness. Now, there's a translation in the Greek that says it this way. Because of his shameless audacity. I love that. Because of his shameless audacity, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds and to him the door, who knocks the door will be opened. Now which of you uh, fathers, if your son asks you for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now Jesus does a whole teaching on prayer and he begins to teach us the character of God. That you can come, right? Our Father who art in heaven. He doesn't just say how to do it, but you can come to him because he is your Father, because he loves you, he is a friend, he is approachable, that you can be persistent, that you can be shamelessly audacious, that you can come before him and he begins to teach them at a much deeper level than just simply How do I pray? This is powerful. It's intentional. He's using a teachable moment to teach something important about the kingdom of God. Uh, You had an experience. Birds and the bees. Oh, yeah. Go for it. You're going to teach us all, buddy. (laughs) So so when uh, my daughter Nicole was in fifth grade, if you are part of the Michigan uh, public education, you get a letter home that says, hey, we're going to talk about the birds and the bees at school, right? And and for, for my wife and I, we really wanted to make sure before anybody else had a conversation with our kids about that, that we were going to have that conversation. We want to be intentional on making sure they hear about serious, important things from us first before from one of their teachers or even their friends. Because you wanted to make sure they had a scriptural worldview, not just a world worldview. Yeah, and so we did. We sat them down. We sat Nicole down, and I remember, for me, it wasn't super awkward. I'm like, just tell it like it is. For Nicole, it was awkward, all right? And so that... It's just one of those things for every kid. If you've had that talk, I'm sorry. Uh, as a parent, you know, we, we feel it's important. So we had the talk, and, and it was awkward, but we got through it. And, and I feel like we were better for it because we were intentional about having that conversation. Fast forward to this year, ninth grade, and Nicole is taking health class. Now, in health class, they talk even more about the birds and bees, and they go into a little bit more detail. But one of the the projects that they had is they had to come home and have a conversation. The teacher assigned them to have a conversation with us as parents about the birds and the bees, expectations from the kid, expectations from the parent, and and, and have this thing that you can actually talk about it and have open conversation. Now, Nicole came home. She had it. And can I tell you? It was an amazing conversation. There, there actually was no awkwardness at all because we already had that awkwardness back in fifth grade. And we ended up talking for two hours about this whole thing, expectations and what we're, what we're thinking. And it, and it was a really fruitful conversation. And then we had to sign the paper. And then she takes it back because you sign it and say, hey, we had that conversation. She goes the next day. She turns it in. She comes home from school and she tells us two things, which I just, it blew my mind. The first thing was, is that half the kids in her class, their parents signed the paper without having the conversation. They said they were too embarrassed. They said they did not want to have that conversation. That was not their job. And so they just signed the papers and then just let their kids turn it in. 
The second thing was, is the conversation was only supposed to last 10 minutes. And we took two hours because, because we could. Because there was a time of teaching, there was a time of learning, there was a time of intentionality. And can I give you a little bit of advice? When you take the time now to be intentional with your kids, it saves some of those awkward uh, conversations later. It allows open doors to be able to have that when you're intentional now. And they'll, they'll always be, okay, so wait. By the way, I just figured out a side business for you guys. Uh, parents can just ship their kids to you for the conversation. <laughs> so, um, no, I, okay, this seems like, okay, this is awkward. This is an awkward conversation. They, all spiritual conversations are. The first time you teach somebody about who Christ is, it's awkward. First time you talk to a neighbor, it's awkward. The first time you talk about forgiveness and the importance of forgiveness and working through conflict and, and being honest with someone about maybe a way that they wounded, that's always awkward, right? But as we have those awkward conversations, it becomes much easier to have real conversations. So don't feel weird if your first conversation is awkward, whether it be with a coworker, spouse, or whatever. First time you pray with somebody, it's awkward, okay? But it'll get better. Wesley and I had one of these last week. Not so much an awkward conversation as a, as a practical, intentional conversation. And after service, uh, we were at home having lunch, and he, he wanted to talk about race and racism. And, um, I mean, if you've been in a hole uh, for the last uh, two weeks um, and aren't aware of what's been happening in our nation, it's, it's tremendous, the heartache that is out there. I have, I have a lot of black friends that are in the, they pray with every week and having these conversations. And, and so Wesley and I began to talk about this whole thing of race and racism. And we talked about in Scripture how it tells us in the Word of God in Galatians, it says that in Christ there is no Jew nor Gentile. That's an ethnicity thing. There is no male, no female. There is no rich. There's no poor. And so understanding that in the kingdom of God that, that for this whole thing of, of hating someone simply because of the color of their skin or what country, that, that, that just doesn't fit with a believer in Christ. And you're saying, well, wait a minute, that's the way I was raised. I don't care. Okay, a lot of us were raised to do unhealthy conflict. Christ always calls us to live for him and to, and to go beyond the way that we were taught. And so Wesley and I talked about that. And then we, we talked about anger. And we talked about what's the appropriate expression of anger and, and what's an anger that does not lead to sin. And we talked about, um, about our police force and loving our police force. I'm good friends. And in fact, a number of our police force come to our church and I love these guys and gals and pray for them. And I reach out to them and text them. And, and so we're supposed to respect. And we talked about this whole thing within a context of what was happening in the world. It's a teachable moment. I talked to my daughter about this. She lives in Denver, and I called her, and we talked over this whole thing and the climate she's in, and throughout the week we talked about it. And by the way, parents, if you've not talked with your kids about this, you need to talk to your kids about this. You need to have these honest conversations. If you've not talked about COVID-19 and talked about how to walk in faith and wisdom and discernment and how to balance this whole thing and how not to live with a sense of fear and anxiety, you need to have it. And if you're having fear and anxiety, you need to talk that over. I guarantee 
that they see it in your life. And so we got to talk through these things. My uh, dad, uh, I did some calculations. It'll be 12 years ago Thursday that my dad passed away. And he passed away the week before Father's Day. In fact, his funeral was the day before Father's Day, and it just seemed appropriate. In fact, many of you were at our church at that time, and I shared a little bit of that journey. For me, it was really important when my dad passed away, it was kind of cathartic to just be on the farm. So I went out, stayed with my mom, and I went to church with her on Father's Day, and I, I spent the week working on the farm, and I was cleaning up all the trucks and getting them ready to sell, and I think there were like three vehicles, and my word, that guy had a dirty truck. I mean, I worked and worked and worked to get the grime. There was like multi-levels of grime, and, and uh, I cleaned all the tractors. I power washed them. I took the grease off of them and stuff. My dad used to wax the tractors. I didn't go that crazy, but, but he, uh, he used to do that, and and I just kind of worked around. I looked through the tools and stuff. I noticed Dad, because of his health, wasn't able to care for the, the farm quite as well as he had been in the past. And I noticed the, the field, the, the weeds, the, it was all grown up about this high. And I thought, man, that really has to be bush hogged. I will tell you, up until that time, I never once that I remember ever bush hogged. My dad did. I helped him hook it up. But I, I don't know that I ever did. So I hooked up the bush hog, I knew where it was at, and I, uh, I greased the shaft, and I, I uh, the power takeoff, and then I went back into the gearbox, and I greased it, you know, pumped it full of grease and stuff. That's one thing I did know how to do, and I started bush hogging down that whole field, and then, man, I hit something, and, it, and I, I broke the bush hog. And I had never changed a shear pin ever, but I remember my dad saying there's a shear pin that keeps it so that you don't break everything, it, it goes quicker, and... So I took it out, took it, got underneath it back at the shed, and sure as a world, I found where the, where the pin goes and went in, and I found another shear pin and popped it in and went back out and finished. And the fence was down. I mean, it was completely down into the grass and the weeds. And I went over. I, I tell you, I never once made fence by myself when I was a kid, ever. I went out, and I used the tractor to stretch it to get it out, the initial one. Then I, I got a come-along out of the barn, and I used the come-along. If you don't know what all that stuff is, you don't need to know. It just it, it all makes sense to me, though. And I uh, hooked it up, and then I realized, man, the corner post had completely rotted. and It needed a whole new corner post system. I never once ever put in a corner post by myself, but I kind of remembered how to do it. And I dug a new post hole, and I put in a brace, and... And you know what? It struck me as I'm standing out there working on the farm. I would have told you before that day that my dad never intentionally ever taught me anything. I would have just thought he never took the time. But what was so powerful is, is that when I needed it, it was there. Parents and grandparents, faithful neighbors, you may not think you're discipling, you will be shocked at what your kids remember. The most insignificant thing that will be impactful in their life, and by the way, it's on the other side too. The negative things that you never even remember, but it was important in their life. And God has given us this incredible privilege of not just sharing our faith with everyone else, but our family. And it's not too late 
even if they don't even live around, it's not too late. You can model it. You can talk about it. You can humbly ask for forgiveness and discuss what it means to be a follower of Christ. I believe God will honor that awkward conversation and he will bless your children, your grandchildren, generations to come through your faithfulness. Let's pray. Father, it's been so good to be back together in the house of the Lord. I know that for some, when we have these conversations, they feel, they feel awkward. There are some that are here that they feel like, man, I missed the opportunity. And Lord, I pray that for those who perhaps feel some regret, I just pray that, Lord, you give them, give them encouragement. Let them know it's not too late till it's too late. And Lord, I pray for those who have young ones at home or have teenagers at home, give them strength for the journey. I pray, Father, that they would just continue to feel a sense of, of divine appointment that you have given to them, this incredible thing of teaching, modeling, and sharing discipleship and faith into their family. To all of us, Lord, you've given us a realm of influence. Help us to be faithful, to hand off well what it is that you've given to us. Thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living.